This episode of the Beyond the Physics podcast is brought to you by you. So if you'd like to support the podcast, please check out patreon.com forward slash beyond the physics. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is Joseph Guzman, and you're listening to Beyond the Physics. So this is a brief introduction before we drop you into tonight's episode, where I give you a overview of the topics that we cover tonight. So, uh... Basically, this is an update from our last podcast, which was about eight months ago, and there's been a tremendous amount of change that have been going on for both of us during this time period. Uh, One example of that is for the fall, I decided to step away from physics. I deferred the semester, and I did not interact with physics whatsoever. Uh, During that time, I also was starting to see a therapist regularly and started working out intensely so those are all massive personal changes for me and um, we do a lot of uh, discussion tonight about uh, the motivations behind that decision one other thing we talk about is uh, Irene and I took a nonviolent communications course which has been pretty transformative in terms of the way that we have conversations with the ones that we love and difficult conversations at work. And so we give a brief overview of what that process looks like and um, hope that it might be helpful for you. And then finally, it should come as no surprise that COVID has been a major source of change for both of us. Um, We have had to be pretty flexible in terms of who we are as graduate students and as teachers. Um, Just every, you know, few months, there's a tremendous amount of change um, going on because of the state of the world at the moment. Um, anyways, so there's some things I skimmed over, but if basically, if you're interested in catching up with us, what we've been up to the past eight months, then please uh, stick around. And without further ado, let's get into tonight's episode. This is Beyond the Physics. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Beyond the Physics. This is Joseph Guzman, and I'm joined with my co-host, Irene Roman. And uh, today we're giving you a little update podcast because last I checked the records, our last episode was May 2021. So it's been quite a lot of time, and uh, we just want to let you know what's going on in our lives, and a lot of these um, things that have happened over the past year might dictate the types of things that we want to explore on the podcast and things that we think you guys might find interesting. So um, anyways, if uh, you want to check that out, go ahead and stick around. So our plan of action for today is um, I just wanted to recap like quickly um, what happened the past year for all of us. And then um, after we give you basically the cliff notes of what happened, then we'll probably go into a much more in-depth discussion about like um, the main points of um, things that happened in our lives and um, explore some of those topics. So to start us off, I was just going to talk about my summer 2021 because um, 
May, when we last recorded our last episode, was in the middle of our summer. And so I was going to start from there, and then we'll work our way up back to present day, which is, uh, we're currently in January 2021, sorry, 2022 right now. Um, So there's a lot of ground to cover, so we'll try to do that in like as succinctly as possible. So, uh, just to get started, in summer 2021, as I recall it, at that time I was preparing for the quals, right? So that's this pretty intense uh, written exam that most graduate physics departments require. Um, At our school, you get four attempts to try to pass this test, showing that you know basically most of physics, and if you don't pass, then they kick you out. So... It's a pretty high pressure test. Um, I was preparing for it pretty intensely at in the summer at that time. And I also recall that I was teaching uh, astronomy online at that point um, because of COVID. Uh, we had switched things to remote learning. And so um, by that time I had a little bit of experience teaching online, but still it's like teaching an astronomy class online took some serious uh, adjustments to get used to. Um, But yeah, so the summer of 2021 was important for me because at that point, I started toying with the notion of taking a break, which they refer to as uh, deferring a semester in the school. Um, And there's a lot of different reasons, you know, I could talk about why I felt like that was necessary, you know. Uh, physically, psychologically, and um, how I relate to the physics culture in general as to like why I needed this break. But the idea had crept into my head. Um, also, COVID was no small part in that. Um, but, you know, at some point, you know, studying for the quals was so intense, um, I just started feeling really burnt out. I just couldn't physically study anymore I just couldn't bring myself to do it and at that point is when I knew that like I I seriously want to take this break and so around June 2021 is when I like officially decided that I would be not going to school for the fall and yeah so we'll we'll explore more of those details later but um so that was a pretty pivotal decision for me at the time and uh yeah so that's what happened my summer um irene is there any details from summer last year that you want to share with us okay well um in summer of 2021 i guess i would say that overall it was a pretty positive experience for me um in that first off i had been teaching remotely for three semesters already so I kind of felt like I was in a better schedule. I felt like I was comfortable with, um, you know, um, everything I had to do. I knew what I was doing, um, felt competent. Um, We had my team of TAs and professor, we had worked really hard putting together the course to be online. And I feel that I was really able to connect with the students in a meaningful and like deep way, even though it was online. Um, and, you know, compared to what I've heard from others, that it's like a hard experience to kind of get that connection, one-on-one connection, I felt like it was 
I felt great, pretty good that I was able to um, kind of like foster these really nice relationships with the students, which even now, you know, they may still reach out to me and let, let me know what they're doing in their lives, you know, still kind of remembering the course and saying, you know, it was one of the best courses that I had taken and that they really enjoyed it. So all of that, you know, it really helps build some of my confidence in general. Um, and then on top of that, I was, I've been in a research group, um, which I mentioned in the last, um, review that we had like eight months ago about our lives. Um, and in this research group, I've like progressively been feeling like safer, more secure in the group. And then I feel like this summer was really a period where I was able to connect even more with like my advisor and then the people in the group because we started having these um, these regular meetings maybe once or twice a week. And this was the time where people were starting to move in person and I was like first a little bit nervous about that. Thankfully, I was still working remotely, which was nice to have. Um, but then, you know, our research group was kind of pushing to kind of see each other in person. So we did do that. We did it. I felt safe doing it. We wore our masks. Um, and, you know, I trusted them. Right. So I felt comfortable and it was a nice kind of like transition to kind of get me a little bit ready if I had to be in person in the future. And so at first I was nervous with that, but, um, it ended up being a really positive experience. I learned a lot of material I feel like I learned a lot about the things I was researching at that time and I built like stronger relationships and I started really feeling part of the group so I felt like they were really including me I felt like I was an integral part of the group and um, they really value the contributions that I made to the to the work Um, and so by the end of that I was starting to write my prospectus and you know there was a lot of anxiety that I'll probably go into more about the prospectus later on but um, there were still positives about it where I, I started really seeing that I was a little more competent than I, be- than I believed. And I did understand the material a little bit better than I thought I did. Um, and um, so I started, started writing that, also felt good. And that went near the end of the summer. I was really getting into that. And um, the unfortunate part is that every semester I feel like I have to start over in a way because it's hard for me to build a structure to get organized and stick with that structure and so I felt like I had just finally felt comfortable with this remote learning I had created my structure Um, I had been getting in a really good structure for the research and then the new semester comes and everything changes because everything's in person again in the fall Um, so that is kind of leads into the fall um, but uh, overall, it was a great experience, but the frustration came near the end when I started realizing that my whole organizational system is going to be torn down and I have to re to recreate a new one. So, and then that's when the fall semester came about. So, what do you think about for you in the fall semester? Yeah, so I, I can imagine that'd be pretty frustrating, right? There's been a lot of changes that have been going on due to COVID, um, particularly with our teaching jobs, you know, going to remote having to redo the whole class and then going back to in person and you know it's pretty difficult to adjust just in general but I'd be interested to hear more about like you know personally like why that was so you know difficult and you know maybe other people out there can relate to that experience um 
but yeah, so just to go into my fall 2021, um, like I said, I decided to take a break. So this was very different for me. Um, there was a lot of change going on. It was um, not a decision I came to lightly. There was a lot of, um, I guess you could say, shame and stuff around it. Um, so I had support from my family, and but... You know, there were some difficult conversations with friends and, you know, so on with people who disagreed with my decision. But um, we could go into those details later. But basically during the fall was just uh, me focusing on me, right? Like I was um, not working and my goal was to improve my physical and mental health. And in a large way, I'd say that was pretty successful. Um, so first I started seeing like, uh, a therapist regularly. Um, my, that, that therapist came through a recommendation from psychology today. Um, and so I meet with them regularly. And then also I started like a fitness health journey, which I mainly, like I was interested in it, but I mainly attributed it to my mom because she, you know she was saying like, "Oh, you should you know think about getting like a Fitbit, like a fitness tracker." And then once I got the Fitbit, it was pretty easy for me to get interested in like the data and like learning like all these different things about like how to you know maintain you know your physical well-being and stuff like that. They have a lot of interesting information and. Um, so that really kind of jump-started my process. So, um, yeah, that was a, those were two big things going on during the fall. Um, and then also, I did take a class with the school, but it was not like a physics class. Um, my research advisor played a big part in, like, advocating for the physics department to reach out to this um, this doctor who works in nonviolent communications, and so we took an intro class during the fall. Um, yeah, me and Irene were there. And uh, there was also faculty and staff and other grad students. Um, and so it was an eight-week course. And so, yeah, that was a really interesting experience. We'll probably say, have a lot more to say about that. I think it was pretty powerful. Um, but, yeah, so it was basically my mental health, my physical health, and, you know, learning about communicating with other people so um that's what was going on during my fall and then yeah so anyways um irene what was going on for you during the fall um okay so with the fall semester i was no longer teaching and i had a discussion with my advisor because um you know i was working on the prospectus but for me, I'm a little bit slow, I would say. Um, it takes me a while to kind of get things done. Part of it is because of this structure and organizational time, the, take, the time that it takes me to create a new structure to kind of keep me organized. I feel like my natural state is like kind of all over the place in general. So maybe I, it's hard for me to stay structured. So I have to be like really adamant of keeping that structure together. And it takes a really long time for me to build a routine that's going to last. And so because of that, it's kind of hard for me to get um, 
big projects done you know i'll get excited about them at the beginning but then the excitement kind of wanes and when i don't really have that stimulation of the novel project anymore it's really hard for me to continue working on things so i kind of had that problem and have that problem in general and that's something that i'm working on in general and i think there's been improvements um but to the routine and the and and the plan and having things organized is really important and vital for me to continue working on something once the novelty kind of wears off and so um we decided that maybe the issue is that i didn't have enough time to work on it so um I kind of switched out from teaching into grading, thinking that grading would be a less time commitment. But the nature of it being so different than what I was used to doing and the routine was extremely different, um, really actually made things worse. So I really had less time than I would have to work on it. So kind of not much work got done in the fall from my prospectus. And I I guess kind of falling realizing that everything I had built in terms of my routine is something that I couldn't really carry forward in the fall kind of put me I guess in a little bit of a depressed state I would say in the first half of the semester I really wasn't productive in general I got really behind on even my grading duties and I really wasn't working getting much done on my research and so I felt kind of like I was letting my advisor down even um and I kind of got in a negative mind state to myself like I was judging myself a little bit hard um for the first half of the semester and then around that time as well um I had a flare-up in one of the in my issue that I have on on my back I have uh, like a degenerative disc disease so the bottom two vertebrae I have like the proteins in the middle are kind of decaying away prematurely so there's something that happens naturally as you age but for some people they have like this accelerated kind of uh, drying out of the disc and so then that can lead to you know nerve pain so essentially some people have varying degrees they could have a really a large generation but then they don't have that much pain some people might have a lesser degree of generation but have more pain and that's just like specific to the person how their body reacts to that um, so for me, it got pretty bad where I really couldn't move that much. And so I felt I was kind of like stuck physically and I also was stuck mentally. And so it was a big barrier kind of to get past that. And I think that one of the things that really kind of helped me through the semester was this NVC course or the nonviolent communication communication course that I had with uh, Joe, as he mentioned. And what was nice about it was that you know all of these types of people with different on all in a different like power level in the university came together and kind of got down to the same level and they were vulnerable and open and it kind of gave me some hope of maybe they will be understanding of what I'm going through and it was a space where I could share what I was going through and my advisor was in the in that course with us as well as um another professor that works closely with us in the research that we do and so it was it was something that really brought me hope and helped me get out of that kind of funk I had in the first half of the semester and then the second half of the semester I started I said I'm gonna do this my back started feeling better I finally had a chance to make an appointment for physical therapy to start working on my back and then um I started creating the schedule and I was really productive. I finished all the work I had to do for my class. I was taking a class as well and I was behind on that. 
Um, and by the end of the semester, I was able to finish all my work for the class. My professor was understanding of being late on my assignments, and um, I was able to catch up on the grading. I didn't really get all I wanted on the prospectus done, but I left that semester with, on a really hopeful note, knowing that I could, that I overcame something that was difficult for me to overcome. And, um, you know, every semester I learn a little bit more of those skills that I need to kind of uh, move forward, right? And so, in a way, I had my own kind of mental health and physical health journey. <laughs> I learned skills I needed to. I was kind of forced to, and maybe I didn't expect that that was going to happen. Um, but I feel like every semester I'm kind of in that journey, you know, on a mental and physical health journey. But I feel like with the help of Joe, too, um, that we've been in a similar journey together, maybe in different ways. It looks different, but I think that he's supported me through that. And I feel like I'm healthier even just picking up some of the skills that he's had um so yeah I would feel like that that's that definitely kind of sums up my fall semester cool yeah thanks for sharing yeah and I appreciate the nice words um (laughs) yeah um so if I just jump into spring I mean we literally just started the spring 2022 so i've decided to go back to school um the break you know was one semester there's technical reasons um like the the school made it clear that taking one semester break is like easy um but taking longer than one semester you know creates a lot of complications um for some reason right in grad school uh, you know that's i don't know why these rules are in place but that's just the way it works that's the way they that's what they communicated to me so um it really kind of incentivized me to like figure out like whether i'm gonna come back you know quickly and so i'm i'm here in the for the spring semester of 2022 um and so now you know i'm back to teaching um that whole situation, I mean, it's my podcast, so I can curse, so, so I'm just going to say, like, that whole situation with teaching is fucked up, you know, it's like, <laughs> it is really, I feel really unsafe teaching, um, we, I mean, not to give too much away, I hope I don't get docs, but, you know, we live in a state where masks are not mandated, and um, so I'm teaching students who refuse to wear masks, and, um, and I, we have to be in person and we're dealing with an Omicron surge and like it really is like making me like doubt, you know, perhaps like whether it's a good decision for me to be back in school and stuff like that, you know, like just because of this teaching thing, really. Um, but anyways, I mean, so um, we'll see what happens the rest of the spring. So yeah, I'm teaching and then, um, I'm pretty much done with classes. So, um, I'll be focusing on research this semester and, uh, I still have to deal with the quals, right? Because I got burned out in the middle of summer. Um, I didn't take the test in the fall and then I just came back and I refused to study for the quals on my break. And I feel like that's the expectation is like, even though I'm not registered with the school or anything it was like expected that i should be studying for that test and that that's fucked up too um but you know anyways that's the situation i'm in i still have to do this stupid test and um 
So we'll see. Um, despite all that, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that you know I'll manage to get through it and stuff like that and finish out this degree. But anyways, that's what I'm dealing with the past couple weeks of the spring that have just started. <laughs> um, yeah, any details from your spring that you want to share? Well, I mean, I feel like I'm also going through the same frustrations you are with the teaching. Um, I feel like it is a little bit irresponsible to have started the classes in person with no mass mandates when there's a big surge. I mean, I understand that it's not as likely for our age group specifically to get it like a severe case is probably going to be mild but we're not the only age group that's at play like a lot of the professors teaching have pre-existing um, conditions and they're older and I feel like for the courtesy of them as well there should be masks and all the students should be wearing masks in the classroom um, so I'm frustrated with that um, I felt like why uh, couldn't we have just been remote for, you know, the first two to three weeks of the classes where the surge was really like increasing. And then once that peak passed and we're going back to the lower numbers like we had before in the summer, then it's more understandable. Like we can go back in person. I mean, I agree with you, the frustration 100 percent. I'm just like, I don't know why we can't have this kind of mixed approach where if when you're having surges, remote when we're no no more surge we can be back in person to me that would that seems like totally fine right but um you know it's politics it's a lot of politics that's frustrating right um so yeah I mean I'm nervous about that because I'm back in teaching and I have about 60 plus students in the classroom that we're in thankfully my professor has been really adamant in in vocalizing the expectation of masks in our classroom. So most students do wear the mask, but there are still some that don't. And um, that is all, it's just frustrating that they can't see the importance of taking care of the people who are teaching them, right? The older professors. So that's, we can probably definitely talk more about that later and you know how COVID has affected, you know, this past year or, or so. Um, and then what comes in at the beginning of the spring is that lingering the prospectus. I mean, this semester really is what I need. I need to get it done right. I wanted to get it done in the fall, and I did do some work, but not nearly enough to really get it ready to present. So this semester is really I want. I need to push hard to get this done in the next one or two, two months and be ready um, to do that. And there's a lot of anxieties with that. Um, so we can talk more about it in the later on about you know what it means to repair the prospectus what are the anxieties kind of that that I have specifically about it and it all ties also into the situation that I have with the routine in the organization and I'm hoping that I can kind of overcome that quickly so that I can really start doing work as soon as possible and I really haven't yet so I'm still trying to get into a into a new routine and kind of this whole uncertainty with COVID and teaching right now is kind of taking up most of my energy. So the teaching is taking most of the energy. Um, but on a positive note, it's exciting to be helping students again. So I'm happy to be teaching. And like I said, most students are respectful with the masks and I get to do my reviews on Zoom, which is nice. So I get to kind of have a little bit of what I built from the past now. So that's always positive. Um, and then 
kind of another little bit of frustrating stuff is just kind of seeing the direction in which the physics department is going in terms of um, the kind of more structure they're creating for graduate students. And we can talk about that more as we expand a little bit on these topics. Um, but overall, it seems a little bit incompatible, in my opinion. Maybe they're not realizing this when they're doing this, but it seems incompatible with their idea of promoting more like equity and diversion, di- <laughs> diversity yeah. in the department, and also like their interest in this nonviolent communication, which is really good, and I hope they keep pushing for that stuff. Um, but then this other part where they're rewriting the graduate school handbook does not seem, the way they're writing does not seem, in my opinion, to be along the lines of promoting diversity and inclusion. So we are mm. definitely going to talk more about that later, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that's um, that's our wrap-up for the year. Um, thanks for uh, caring enough to listen to what's been going on with both of us this past year or so. I hope everyone listening is safe and, you know, had um managed to make it through this crazy time um but yeah so now you know i'd like to start you know there's a lot of details that we skipped that you know i'd like to talk more in depth on um what do you want to start with i mean like like do we um do we go with you know what was going on for me in uh, the summer like going into therapy and stuff like that or um what do you want to focus on right now well i mean i think that one of like kind of like the major themes for both of us is like this journey for what's like mental health physical health and improvement um and so i think it would be nice to kind of hear about your experience with that like the struggles you had why you needed the break and then you know what did you do during the break to help you yourself yeah yeah so um it's interesting i like because i've listened back to our old podcast on my imposter syndrome stuff right and you know the you know previous you know spring 2021 and the semester before that I was really struggling with like imposter syndrome and I went to school counseling and had some breakthroughs and you know that was all good and all but it it also didn't remove you know some of the problems I felt with like my place in in the field and I guess like it was it's kind of it was kind of like a a midlife crisis, you could say. Like, um, I think my therapist threw that out is what it sounded like at one point. Um, because, well, I mean, one thing was, like I said, COVID was going on. And they, you know, said that we would be going back in person in the fall. And I didn't feel safe doing that. And so I, it really gave me a moment to, like, pause and reflect on my place you know, it was just like, you know, I understand the risks and all and like, you know, for, you know, my demographic or whatever, I'll probably, you know, be fine with the whole COVID if I get sick or whatever. I'm aware of that. But I'm also aware of the fact that it's not it's not a non zero probability that if I get sick, you know, something really bad could happen to me, you know. And 
you know, the fact that I have to put myself at risk for this job, this goal, this dream I have for like getting a PhD in physics, you know, I just was feeling like I'm, I don't think I'm willing to die for this, you know? And so that was pretty sobering, I guess, uh, like de dealing with, um, that it, it gave me a moment to like pause and reflect. And then on top of that, I was just dealing with like a lot of anxiety with the quals, perhaps pushing myself too hard. And, um, you know, I was burnt out. Like I said, like I was just so burnt out. Like it basically overcame that anxiety, that fear I had of like, you know, of, you know, not performing well or whatever, or like, buying into this structure so much you know it's just like i was so burnt out that i was just like you know what i don't i don't care anymore you know like i know i should study but it's like i physically can't go any further you know it's just i just couldn't do it you know and um so anyways i thought like you know, taking a break might be nice because, you know, there's, there were two possibilities in my mind. It was like either, like I am genuinely just burnt out. I worked myself too hard and like there's still a love for physics inside of me somewhere. Um, or, you know, you, I, the love for physics has faded away, right? Oftentimes I analogize physics to like an abusive toxic relationship <laughs> um and like you know the, the other possibility was like i just got sick of the abuse you know i just woke up to the fact that this relationship will never work you know um well it's a physics physics culture it's yeah. not just not physics itself i think physics itself what sure, the yeah, culture is the equations themselves don't you know beat me up <laughs> yeah mentally i mean that often um <laughs> but yeah so it's just like you know given those two possibilities like it might be good to just be able to you know take a break from the relationship you know and you know get some space and to be able to reevaluate that whole thing so that was my thought process going into the break you know so that's what was going on for me beforehand. Okay. And then so when you decided to take the break, then you said that was in June, right? When you decided. Yeah, it was like in the middle of the summer, you know, June and July might have gotten more formal where I met with like school people and like had to set that whole thing up. And then so like what was the plan that you had like how did you come up with a plan for the break yeah i mean it, i guess it was a plan but it like in retrospect it doesn't sound like much of one my plan was to was to not work <laughs> literally that was my plan um it was to take space to um take care of my body and take care of my mind like i was actually like excited to focus on myself, you know, to focus on my well-being and stuff like that. Because in graduate school, like, I have not done a good job of taking care of myself. Like, 
my sleeping patterns were not good. <laughs> you know, I could easily push myself to, to sleep, you know, five hours or whatever, you know, for a work day. Um, my eating habits were not good. <laughs> um, put no thought into it whatsoever. Convenience was the most important factor. Um, and, you know, I felt kind of, I mean, I haven't really processed how to think about like my body exactly, but I wasn't exactly feeling good about, you know, my body and stuff like that. Um, and I felt like it was because of the lack of care I put into myself, you know? And so my plan was just to like, you know, figure some shit out, <laughs> you know, like what's, how do I adult in this new way? Like, how do I learn all these skills for taking care of myself? Like while balancing all these other things and like, so, um, the point was to get as far away from physics as possible, basically just for like a few months and like, see what that does for me. Like, do I do, does my mental state return to something that feels like manageable? You know, like I felt like I was, like I was drowning and I couldn't even tell if I was like crazy or if like um, it was a sign of like a more serious like mental disorder or something um, or if I was just like at my wits end and so that was my plan okay and then so if you had to answer that now what, what would you say was I know that there's going to be a lot well, I would hope there's going to be a lot of discussion on like, you know, the the mental transformation too, right? And maybe more details on like physically what you did like over the break. But if you had this look back now, what are you, what are things, I mean, did you realize anything about the state that you were in and like what caused it? Yeah. I mean, the interesting part was like when I was out of work, it was it was like night and day it was just like when i was not in school i felt like so grounded so stable so like emotionally like well regulated and like in a good mood like 99 percent of the time and it was just like wow <laughs> you know it's like school is can do some real damage to you right um so then I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm not crazy. <laughs> it's just <laughs> something about like specifically how I interact with school for some reason is like unhealthy, right? Um, so I take responsibility for, you know, my my own personal psychology for that. But I feel like the school definitely deserves blame for some of that too, you yeah. know? Um But anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm losing track. I mean, what exactly is the is the was the question again? I mean, what would I say now about what exactly? Like, what was the what you think was the cause? Well, you kind of answered it. You said it was something about the school culture, the physics culture, right? Yeah. Well, something about like how I interact with it, and how the you and the physics culture. But yeah, I mean, I'd be more interested in talking about um, how what part physics has to play in that like i could sit here and talk about like my own psychology but um i think what might be more useful is highlighting you know what i think are some of the toxic traits in 
physics culture and like why it incentivized me to be in such an unhealthy state. So like just some examples is just like basically in the culture, my perception is that like science has to be your life if you're going to be a physicist in grad school particularly, right? Like even this podcast, right? I've listened to, um, there's this podcast by Lawrence Krauss called the Origins Podcast. Lawrence Krauss is like a cosmologist from uh, Arizona State. And, you know, he was saying on his podcast about like um, grad students who want to write a blog or something, like his students that want to write a blog. And he always recommends that they don't because he says it looks like a black mark on their career trajectory or whatever, you know, because, um, because I have a really crazy looking face. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a black mark because then if people become aware of that, then it's, um, other physicists become aware of that, then they will be less likely to take you seriously because you're not, it's perceived as a waste of time, you know? Um, at least that's Lawrence Krauss's perspective on like the culture. It's really funny because when I hear someone say that, then I'm like in protest. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a blog now <laughs> <laughs> so I can show you that it's not true. Yeah. I can still have a great reputation. I can still be a great physicist and I can do other things than just physics. Yeah. And it's not right that you saying you can only do physics. You can only do science or you're not serious about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm vaguely aware that it might be like, more of an American thing in terms of the like PhD stuff and like the culture related to that because I've heard of people in like the UK have more like work-life balance or whatever but regardless in the US at least um like my perception is the culture definitely expects that you know you dedicate your whole life to physics right and like the hours that you are required to work are, are kind of reflective of that right like as a graduate student you know we get paid peanuts and yet we work you know an insane amount of hours right mm -hmm. the way they justify it <laughs> i mean it's unjustifiable but you know it's like one of the things is they're kind of like flexible hours right you can work you could, most of the time you could set up when you work, you know, like to whatever works best for you. But, um, but that's, you know, little comfort if, you know, to get the job done, you need to work, you know, 80, you know, 90 hours, <laughs> you know, if that's what it takes to get the job done, then like, who cares if you can <laughs> have the freedom to like dictate when, you know? So it's just like another example is like you know um our enm professor you know uh said something along the lines of like for his home for his homework you know he expects that you spend at least 20 hours a week working on you know his homework set you know just his and you know the grad students are expected to take you know two other classes and then you know teach and do research and you know prepare for his tests you know so it's just like if you add, if you do the math in your head even order of magnitude i could tell that that's like not sustainable right um 
So anyways, I mean, um, so for someone like me, who's like eager to work hard and to, and who is, you know, capable of pushing themselves past, you know, their limits, you know, um, grad school is going to be happy for me to make that sacrifice, right? Like they're going to be like, yep, awesome. Like you're doing that. Everyone else should be sacrificing that much too. Um, that's what's expected of you, you know? And so anyways, that's just like an example of like how physics culture really kind of pushed me to this place where like I needed to take this break. Yeah, so when I think of the physics culture, um, definitely everything you say also highlights kind of like um, the issue where it's really hard to even advocate for your own needs, like what you need, right? So they're like demanding... Well, I'm not sure if if it's demanding. I guess it is kind of a demand from them, right? Because it's like this expectation that you have to work all these hours. Um, and like you said, there's people who maybe it's a U.S. culture, who knows? But let's say if you have enough time to do something else, like have a blog or, you know, even this podcast, right, would be under that category. Then you're not serious about physics and you don't deserve to be a physicist. Um and so it's like completely ignoring all of like just fundamental needs that we have as human. Just because we do physics doesn't take away that we're human and that we have all these needs. And it's like they completely just ignore that, right, in a way. It's like they don't even, you don't hear that at large in these physics communities discussing that, discussing what kind of needs that we might have as humans outside of this. Um, and it's really problematic. I mean, that's what causes people to have the burnout, like, and um and so there needs to be a space where people can advocate for their needs um and all of this is definitely in terms of diversity um equity and inclusion which is like i know in our department they state that they're trying to be more equitable they're trying to be um, more like mindful of diversity they want more like diverse background um, and I mean they preach they're starting they're trying to preach some inclusion but like all of these things that we talked about and the problems that we see that's like the opposite right of what is the outcome like you're not being inclusive and so I guess there's um for me in particular um, a problem that I have like I've kind of alluded to with our other discussions I have kind of issues like getting myself in a good routine it takes me a while to develop a routine and organization and so I mean um I'm not neurotypical I'm like I don't know what the right way to say it's like neurodivergent and for me like the normal way or the regular way like society does stuff and like the structures and like really something that works so well for me and by having this like framework and this hardcore structure that I feel like is really narrow in terms of the path of how to get to the goal, which is the PhD, right? In this instance, um, is very exclusionary, right? It's like, I don't even know if they realize, you know, they realize that these policies are exclusionary, but by having these strict policies, um, 
you know, and this is just like, I'm talking about policies, but also it can be the expectations that they have. It's completely, there's this whole group of people that, you know, um, one group of diverse people would be, like I said, neurodivergent people, like people who grew up in different cultures or people didn't have the same resources as others. They come in a completely different place. And I think that they're not, I feel like at large, the culture is not mindful of those groups of people and like, what are the needs that they have? And so by like not even listening or opening the space for them to communicate those needs, they're never going to understand like how they can support um, the group of people that they say they want to support, right? So like by having the structure, like in the end, the people who fail are the ones that are not um, the typical, I guess. Like it's like the people, the diverse group, the one that you want to help support is the one that you're not supporting by having these strict rules. And um, I guess that's what's really frustrating me because like recently I've been hearing that the department has now created a, um, has rewritten their handbook so that for example, the qualification exam that is more strict, even the requirement of like when it has to be taken and how it's taken and how many attempts people are going to get. It's more strict so that they say that they can get rid of people earlier so that they don't have to be wasting all these years research and then get kicked out. Where I was like, what? How does that make any sense? Like that's the opposite of trying to be more inclusive, right? Because the people are going to be damaged by that are the people that are from the diverse group um, in my opinion. And so it's just kind of a little bit, um, the two things aren't aligning, like what they say they want and then their actions aren't coming together in, in my view. So I don't know whether they're not mindful of what they're doing or, um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, Totally agree that what's going on is uh, not aligned with their goals. Um, but in terms of like what's going on behind the scenes, like how they process it, I have no idea. I mean, I'm guessing that they're not um, aware of how they are incongruent. Um or maybe they don't believe it's incongruent at all, right? Like some people choose to, well, not choose, but, um, you know, I've, I've gone to a few talks and seen some papers and data about how, you know, those, you know, standardized tests, you know, are, are um, you know, tend to select for a specific type of person, you know, specific ethnicities and, you know, specific trainings and so on. So, to your point, but um, I also know that a lot of people don't agree with those studies or don't take them seriously. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know how they process it, but um, I think they should be more, they should be made aware of like how their new policies are damaging and who, who they, specifically that they're affecting. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely one day be interested in looking into more details on, you know, standardized exams, like these studies that you've mentioned, um, and then kind of thinking about um, whether it really does support the goals of these departments in general. Like, yeah. Is it really a good indicator of the success that you're going to have as a PhD yeah. student? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing that kind of cuts through it all for me is like, 
it's kind of beside the point whether or not, you know, those studies are legitimate because for me, it's just patently obvious that those tests are just a waste of time to begin with, you know, Mm -hmm. like just thinking about how those test taking skills translate to like the actual work, you know, research related skills that you need to succeed. It just seems obvious that like they're not the same thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And the more I'm, doing research and the more and more I get into the field, I, the more noticeable it is, in my opinion, that it doesn't translate. It's really not that necessary. Yeah. Even for teaching, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you're, you're putting this selective pressure on like students, you know, undergraduates and graduates to perform well on tests. And that's really all you're selecting for is people who perform well on tests. But you know, it, that doesn't really have a good bearing on, you know, their research performance and, um, and really I think the main reason they do that is for convenience, right? Like it can be easy to look at a test and say, oh, this number is higher than this number. So that person should be kicked out, right? It's just like, it's the most straightforward way of being able to rank choice, you know, students and to be able to justify, you know, cutting them out. You know, if you include like these more, you know, important in my mind, like skills of like handling research and stuff, um, it can be, there aren't good tests, yeah, in terms of like how to quantify those things. So I think schools refuse to like even, you know, well, investigate. Well, I just feel like you should admit the people that you can support and you should support them instead of just admitting all these people and then put them through these like trials shave off a bunch of people that actually may have been great contributors to the field but maybe don't work well in that way and then they don't pass the trials and that's just narrow narrow way of anal- like assessing them um why don't why don't you accept people and just like fully support them yeah. you know like, like fully support them listen to their needs you know uh be good mentors right help them grow in the way that they need to grow to become like great scientists. So it's like, why, why do they look at the other way? Are you good enough for me instead of like, am I good enough to teach you to be, yeah, to get where you want to get, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I lost my train of thought, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I totally agree. Um, (laughs) Um, so anyways, I, I could keep talking about that for, for a while, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's any other, um, topics that you think we should hit. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think that's something that we could expand upon in the future too. I mean, it would be nice to get something more concrete, maybe even numbers and stuff from studies and we could expand on that. So we don't have to do that right now. Um, But I mean, I was interested to go back to talk a little bit about your journey because I think it's important for people to see what it looks like, um, like more concretely in terms of kind of, I feel like part of this interface with the department is, yeah, the messed up culture that they have and all these demands and expectations they have of the graduate students. And then in terms of how we interact with them as graduate students, it's really hard to advocate for a need. So I feel like maybe, do you think that part of that kind of for you was like not 
like what made it even more difficult because it does for me is that at not having a way to communicate my need to them and feel like I can get them met. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> definitely that's something that makes it difficult, right? Is because I guess the unmet need is that it's like, I don't feel safe in the department to be able to trust the fact that like, you know, I feel like I need space and time to be able to like meet my needs for taking care of my body and my mind and stuff like that. And, um, that is just like, if I were to communicate that to the physics department at large, I feel like there would not be support for, you know, meeting that type of need, right? What I would be met with would, you know, I imagine would be like derision and, you know, basically just them not taking it seriously and basically saying like, well, tough luck, you know, you got to deal with it. Like the professors I know deal with, you know, so much, right. And they, I just feel like would, would have little sympathy for, you know, what's going on with you and can which is interesting because it's just like i feel like then that means they're not really even in tune with like their own needs yeah (laughs) right like the fact that like to acknowledge that i need this thing would also force them to have to acknowledge that in themselves (laughs) yeah and i guess that's kind of why it doesn't happen um but so Totally, like, being able to have the space to advocate for my needs is um, one major reason why I guess I had to take a break in such a perhaps extreme way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it. it's good that you said that, like, the way you put it, too, because I think it's important to also acknowledge that this physics culture doesn't only affect us as is, as graduate students, but it permeates the whole entire, like, rung of hierarchy of everyone right like even the professors and I see that from my advisor because I have a closer relationship with him and I feel safer with him right than anywhere else um I mean he creates one of the safe spaces I have in the department he I I can see how they too aren't getting needs met a lot of needs met right um and you know I can see why it's hard for them like you said it's hard for them to even get their own needs met recognize the needs that they're not getting met so how are they even supposed to like recognize that what needs we have and help us get those needs met too right so it's like something that just trickles down trickles up and trickles down you know it's just the whole culture is just effed up (laughs) so i feel like that's something that needs vital change for sure um and and there's ways i think you know like I hoping we're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're going to go into talking about nonviolent communication. And I think that that's like something that is so powerful and could be change, could be life changing for a lot of people and for the physics culture could give it um, a new life if we actually embrace it. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to NVC, I do want to kind of flesh out a little bit about the journey again. I know we kind of keep getting off on the tangent, um, but in terms of, you know, you realize you needed a break, so you took the break. And then what did that break look like? What I know you said that you didn't feel like probably physically well, right? Um, probably because of the habits you had weren't like the healthiest habits in general. Um, 
And then that also adds into the kind of mental well-being as well. You're not going to feel as mentally well. So then what steps did you take during the break um, to improve your physical health and also your mental health? Yeah, well, so like I said, the first thing was um, getting hooked up with a therapist. And um, yeah, what kind of therapy did you go through? I mean, I don't know. She she specializes in acceptance and commitment therapy, but okay. I don't know if that's exactly what's going on for okay. me. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, and so really, like, again, uh, similar experience to my last school counselor, I guess you could say, is really I feel like a lot of the breakthrough happens on my time, right? Yeah. Not in the sessions themselves. Mm-hmm. Like really, I, it's about me putting in the work to like think about, you know, <laughs> traumatizing things in my past, I guess. <laughs> Dealing with all the baggage that I've carried all my life and like thinking about how that affects, you know, my work, like how I relate to the to the world and, you know, everything. You know, there's a lot of you know, processing, like, critical thinking about, like, those types of situations, which I think does eventually lead to an improved mental state, right? Um, And in terms of, like, the physical well-being, I mean, it started with just very small changes in terms of my diet, Um, like, thinking about macros, Right. For example, mm-hmm. like, you know, thinking about the nutrition content in food and like how I can get certain nutrients in my meal and just thinking up like trying to think up fun and clever or like enjoyable ways for me to actually, you know, get what I need into my body, you know, and um, also, you know, working out. I started working out more regularly um, first starting off with jump rope and then I bought this really cheap weight set and I worked out at home. Um, and it's just basically from there, it's just been like very small, like incremental changes in terms of like the frequency intensity of like the workouts or like, um, you know, picking up new tools in the kitchen and like learning how to incorporate those into my daily life really placing a priority on, you know, getting enough sleep and, you know, the Fitbit helps me be mindful of basically all of those things of like how much sleep I'm getting, you know, how much water I'm drinking, what food I'm eating and like what the nutrition content of them is and stuff like that. So all of those things combined really make for like a pretty, you know, substantial change in like how I take care of myself. And do you feel a difference with that? Yeah. Mentally to- too? Totally. I mean, physically I'm different. <laughs> like I've lost a lot of weight. I, I've intentionally lost weight. Um, and um, so yeah, physically I'm a lot different. I feel, I feel stronger. I feel more confident. I feel better. Um, and mentally yeah um i definitely feel more resilient i feel more grounded but it's interesting coming back to school like i you know as i mentioned earlier like when i was on the break i felt so stable i felt so you know good and then coming back to school it's like 
almost immediately I've noticed like a lot of those, you know, negative thought patterns and the triggering things, you know, whatever, you know, kind of pulling me a little bit towards this like more negative um, space. But because of, you know, all the work I've put in, it's I don't think it's as bad as it was in the past. So it's something that is obviously you're in a new stage now where you're going to have to take the tools that you've learned in the break. And then, I mean, it's going to be different, right? Like now you have these triggers like blaring all over the place and you're going to have to navigate this minefield of triggers. Um, And I know that, you know, all the things, the skills that you've gained and those new patterns are going to hold up and help you. But it's probably going to be... You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting. It's going to be nice to hear the journey that, of the next step. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can all support you, even the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I'm really celebrating growth. I'm feeling, like, mentally totally transformed. I've reevaluated, like, my identity and, like, who I see myself as and who I, you know, who I want to be and... And, you know, if I didn't take the break, I wouldn't have discovered those things, you know. Um, so. So, yeah, I feel like a totally new person, I guess, refreshed. So it was good. I think it was the right decision. Well, I'm happy that I can celebrate that. Those transformations with you and, you know, the growth and the understanding. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know why you're thinking me, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> for sharing, for sharing everything, and oh, okay, for sharing yeah. it with everyone that's listening. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to share it. So, I mean, I think I think it's important to show that it's okay to be vulnerable too, and yeah, you know, discuss these hard topics and things that don't always feel great. You know. Yeah. So if I talk to the audience for a second here, I mean, I guess if you find yourself relating to my experience, like I want to just remind you that you know it's okay to take time and space for yourself there's a lot of shame not only in physics but in the world for like not being productive i guess yeah and like the work that i put into like you were talking to me about this yesterday right so the the things I did on the break was still work. It was, it still required a lot of effort. And I, you know, I understand that not everyone is in the position financially to be able to make the move that I made. Right. Um, it wasn't easy. (laughs) It still came out of cost for me, but still, anyways, if you have the opportunity, you know, just, and you want to take a break, just, you know, don't forget to be compassionate to yourself and you know, that, if you really think that that's the right move for you, there's probably good reasons for it. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of growth that happened because of it. So, yeah, I mean, everyone deserves to get their needs met. And if you feel like you're not getting your needs met, um, there should be no shame, right. And taking whatever time you need to figure out like how you can get the needs met, which is part of what you did in the break. Right. Yeah. And I guess I'll just take one more note here just to like comment that, you know, I feel very grateful to have, you know, family that supported me also, right? Like, I understand not everyone's family is so, you know, 
understanding, accommodating, you know, um, I appreciate the fact that like when I reached out to them, letting them know I was taking this break, you know, they all pretty much understood and thought it was, you know, a good idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I know, you know, like for example, you know, my stepfather passed away a few years ago. If he was still alive, I think those conversations would have went a lot differently. You know, yeah. he would not have been as understanding and, you know, supportive. So I know those decisions can be hard for a lot of people. Definitely. So you want to take lead? You want to tell, t- tell us what's coming up next? Or you want me to talk about some stuff? Yeah, go ahead. You can, you can talk. <laughs> well, uh, segues are hard, so I'm just going to jump into it. Um, let's talk about MVC for a second. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good connection to everything we talked about. We're talking about getting our needs met, and that's yeah. like the essential part of NVC is needs. One of yeah. the essential parts. Yeah. So I think we should try to keep this like brief, I guess, just because um, I do believe that, you know, at least at some point we'll make a a whole podcast dedicated to this, hopefully. Um, So, you know, I don't want to retread too much ground, but I think NVC um, is a really powerful tool um, and... So if you don't listen to that podcast, but you listen to this one, you know, hopefully, it, you know, perhaps inspires you to learn some of the details. So if we could just start talking about that, I guess. Um, one thing I just want to address is, you know, it's called nonviolent communication. And I think that people immediately jump to like some conclusions about that. Like, you know, my dad's first reaction to it is like, are they referring to like microaggressions or something or like does that imply that you know all communication is you know outside of that is inherently violent or something um and i kind of want to just dispel some of those things like <laughs> real quick just to make sure we're all on the same page i mean <clears throat> i'm not sure exactly the root of that name like nonviolent communications but you know as far as I understood it from my class is it's just basically a way of communicating with people um, that focuses on, you know, on needs, right? They, they talk about, you know, um, the difference between needs and strategies. So like, for instance, needs, um, the idea is like, there's a, a fundamental list of human needs that, you know, universally across the world humans can agree that like they want these needs met right like an example is like um for physical safety for sleep for rest you know for fun um for you know um partnership community etc right those are like some examples of needs yeah and i think at the last podcast we quickly mentioned something about mvc and the needs and i'm not sure if we posted the links um to the inventory yeah i think we did Mm -hmm. so we can also post them again this time so that you guys can have a better look at what are some you know universal needs and also feelings so you have language to understand your own feelings yeah but so the fundamental premise of nbc is basically that all conflict is the result of some unmet need right and so that means if there's you know 
some altercation, some argument you're having with some person, the premise is that, you know, there's something that that person needs that isn't being met um, that's causing that conflict. Um, yeah, so so yeah. I, I was going to say that then, you know, the class and this major focus was on developing like a concrete framework in how to both give and receive empathy. And through that process, you can communicate those needs so that, you know, both parties can understand what you need. And then eventually we get to the point where you can create strategies to meet the needs of the people in the party. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, the class I found like very useful because of that framework and a lot of the definitions that they provide for things in terms of our communication that I wasn't really... I didn't really have a word for, you know, and um, so being able to define things in that way was like really um, eye opening. Yeah, definitely. Like um, an example is like the different states of mind. Right. So like um, they call like uh, this um, abstraction would be the state of mind where you're like consumed in thought. Like if you're having a conversation with someone, but in the back of your head, you're really like focus on something else or you're having, you know, you know, thoughts coursing through your head that doesn't have to relate to the conversation, that would be considered like you're in the abstract state of mind, you know, and then a second state of mind is a, um, absorption when you're like focused on some task. Um, you're not necessarily stuck in your own head. You're like watching TV or something and not paying attention to the conversation. And then the last state of mind is like um, attention or being present with the person. And so that's the state of mind that, you know, you strive for, um, hopefully in life and in the class, to be able to like hear what the other person is saying and totally be, you know, present and attentive to, you know, what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there are times that the other state, it's not like the other states are bad to be in, but if you're trying to have a... Um, meaningful conversation and communication with someone then you w would prefer to be in attention so yeah. that you can really listen and absorb the information that they're giving you yeah exactly but so it's just um my point is just you know those definitions are useful because then it helps me you know like identify where i'm at at any given moment you know like um if someone's talking to me and then i can catch myself and like oh am i actually like in attention at this moment or am i somewhere else in my head yeah i mean for me i have a little bit of a problem sometimes because of the issue where sometimes i forget like what i was gonna say then sometimes i get worried so i'll be in abstraction thinking about the thing i want to respond to what someone is saying and so it was a little difficult sometimes for me to kind of just say it's okay if i forget what that statement is i wanted to say it's fine i just want to listen to what the other person has to say and the conversation ends up fine anyway you know yeah but that yeah. was an aside <laughs> yeah that was okay. but so like i think the most powerful thing about the class was what you already mentioned in terms of the framework for giving and receiving empathy like really um that framework i think was the most important thing in the class to me um do you think you could define empathy do you have like a good way of defining what empathy is just to give a preview of I know when we talk about this in another podcast, we'll probably go into way more detail about stuff, but 
No, I can't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's putting me on the spot like that. I don't, no, I mean, because there was a specific definition in the class, um, but I don't recall it off the top of my head. Okay. So we'll leave that special tidbit for you guys at the in the NVC podcast. Yeah. Um. Anyways, <laughs> so that's not not the best showing of our knowledge, but um. But what I was just going to talk about in terms of like giving and receiving empathy, you know, um, I think one, just one other like, you know, perhaps tangent that might be worthwhile talking about is um, other conversational responses. Again, this is a definition in the class. So the, um, basically that just um, other conversational responses are ways that you can communicate with other people that um, don't uh, that aren't connecting, right? That's that's basically how they define it in the class. Meaning, like those types of responses um, are less likely to lead you to be able to getting other people's needs met, right? So examples of other conversational responses are like minimizing or relating or you know devil's advocating um questioning etc so like an example of you know um or like one-upping right so let's do do a one-upping example it's like say you're having a conversation with someone and um say like you tell them like oh i got a flat tire this weekend or something and it was really such a hassle to deal with and then i would say then I would say, oh, well, you know, this weekend my car like fell into a ditch and the whole thing just blew up. Yeah. So now I have to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have a car anymore. Yeah, so exactly. So it's like you can see like in that example, like the person talking about their flat tire, like they just want it. Perhaps they had a need of like, you know, wanting some support or intimacy or connection or whatever. You know, they just wanted to share this thing and like have some, you know, sympathy or something perhaps. And then if the person one-ups, like, really what you're doing is, like, minimizing their experience and changing it into a way to talk about you rather than, like, yeah. talk about, like, what's going on with that person. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, learning about, like, all those, there's a whole list of, like, other conversational responses. Um, that's kind of powerful in the sense that, like, now that I'm aware of those things, it just shows me, like, how many bad conversations are being had out there in the world like how many like how like ineffective and how like damaging <laughs> these conversations can be that you see out in the wild you know? well i mean i do want to put a little bit of like a caveat into that yeah. is that there are instances where other conversational responses is what the other person is looking for yeah so and sometimes if, like for a very maybe person who's really in tune with the other person you might actually choose another conversational response that is exactly what they're looking for without them telling you that they wanted that and you gave it to them and that's connecting. So in some instances, it could be connecting. Yeah. But for the most part, um, you know, kind of following this giving and receiving empathy is like a stronger way um, of building the connection, right? Instead of using other conversational responses. Yeah. A lot of times they're used in a way that is the opposite of connecting, it's disconnecting. So a lot of times, like you've mentioned, the other conversational responses are used incorrectly. 
Yeah. I just wanted to mention that there are cases where it is used well and yeah. can actually be connecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, but so, yeah, that's just... Um, anyways, my, 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 uh, <laughs> my point was just that these... Um, this framework, these definitions, these things that we picked up from this class kind of really taught me a lot about, um, communicating with other people, being more mindful of how I'm communicating. And, um, I think it's been pretty effective when I've used it in like my actual life towards like having better conversations, having a deeper connection with people. Um, so in general, I think it's a pretty powerful tool and um so yeah i'm excited to talk about it potentially more on the podcast in the future yeah me too and it's a little bit awkward too i mean to be honest with you um finding at first and still is we're like babies at this right because we only took the first introductory course so we're technically like just sprouting (laughs) according to the professor but um yeah it's still awkward you know and for me i feel a little bit awkward using this framework um but i definitely have seen how powerful it is and something that is worth worth using and worth kind of pushing through the awkwardness um it can really get you places with people that you may have be having any number of conflicts with and um it really does work i've used it too with family and you know how hard it can be sometimes having good conversations and communication with family so um yeah so definitely hope we can expand upon it. You know, remember we are still babies, but we can share whatever knowledge we have with you guys in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. And I hope uh, that will be interesting to you guys. Um, cool. So uh, do you want to <laughs> do you want to rant about COVID? Well, or? well, I did want to just mention with the NVC stuff like. Just seeing how powerful it is, I guess that's the reason why I have hope for the physics department and just the physics culture and just working culture in general. It doesn't have to be just physics because I think that there's these same problems in like most working cultures, right? Most companies, departments, um, science, culture in general. I know, you know, friends who are in med school, it sounds really bad too, really toxic. And I think that if we could give space to people to just have conversations like this and really just open up, be vulnerable and discuss the needs that they have, I think that we could really start improving the culture. So I would love to see, and I know our department is trying to push this a little bit further and it's hard because some people are going to be resistant. So, um, it's in its infancy right now, but I'm, I'm hopeful that it will, um, hopefully, you know, bloom into something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's making me realize I should have perhaps um, talked about how the class came to be in the first place earlier. Um, but yeah, basically the idea was just, um, it's like a pilot program in our physics department. You know, my, like I said, my research advisor pitched the idea and um, it got some funding to basically have, you know, 12 people go into the class, take the class, and then perhaps in future years they could have bigger cohorts and introduce eventually the whole physics department to like these tools and stuff but depending on how this first class went you know so hopefully it went well and hopefully it you know leads to 
further change in the department. Yeah. And we're, and we're trying to start a group of the people who were in the course yeah. to kind of help spread it in the department too. Yeah. Even just through discussions with people and, you know, trying to brainstorm some ways to help build more community spaces, for example, so that we can have conversations like that. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, you know, it takes time for these things always because we ha- we're doing so many different things, but yeah. we'll hope to see to see some improvements mm-hmm. yeah okay well um before we wrap up we just wanted to talk about covid a little bit um you know maybe people are sick of hearing about this stuff but you know it covid has been no small part in terms of our past you know couple years as well as anyone else in the world i'm sure um it's been a major you know source of change in our lives and um yeah so i guess um you know like i've already i've already talked about some of those details um like in terms of like in the summer of 2021 that was a major reason why you know i decided to take the break Um, because of, you know, moving to in-person and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's a lot of ground that's already been covered, but I guess I'm just wondering for you, Irene, like how has your, you know, experience been, you know, teaching online? You shared at the beginning, like, um, feeling like a deep sense of connection with your students teaching online. And, um, I guess I'm wondering like how you're feeling about, you know, the difference of teaching online versus going back to in-person now. Like, um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Okay. Well, I feel like maybe my, um, experience, well, I don't know. And, the average experiences but for me in terms of you know the isolation and the remote learning for me it was a really positive experience overall I'm I've even as a child I feel like it was easier for me to connect sometimes remotely so I would be like one of those kids that was only like AOL and stuff I know that's so dated right (laughs) like AIM and stuff and I was like the little kid always like chatting on AIM and like I built most of my really strong relationships through chat and then in person I was awkward like I feel like uh I felt like I didn't really belong a lot of times but then in person I felt like socially awkward um but then when I had the computer screen there in between then I felt like I could be more myself and more vulnerable and I built better connections so that could be part of how I am and have been for my whole life where having that little bit of social distance um helps me build connections because there's less anxiety there I have I feel like I get overwhelmed in in in-person situations by like all the stimuli all the people I feel like I'm always like absorbing information about them and it can be cause cause anxiety you know it becomes overwhelming and and so sometimes it's harder for me to build those connections. Now that I'm older, I really can build connections in person well as well. So, I mean, I've been able to kind of work on that anxiety and I can connect with people. 
Um, but maybe from having those skills from the past when I was a child, maybe that's why I was able to kind of foster those connections online. So it really, I didn't have so much of a problem doing that. Um, and I really actually feel like I flourished in a way during the isolation. Another thing that was really positive for me in terms of, um, basically doing everything remote was that I felt like not this pressure to kind of just like logistical pressures that I have getting from point A to point B. I have a really bad problem being late to everything. And that's something that brings my self-esteem down because I feel really guilty for that, you know. I mean, it's not like I want to be late, but it just always seems to happen. I, ha- I have to work really hard to be on time to things. And then all that time that I'm losing in between, like I said, like it's it's hard even in those little small minute periods of time um like daily things it's hard for me to go from one thing to another I I need more time to kind of ease into the next location next scenario and that's because of kind of feeling overwhelmed by the different the stimuli changes the more people the way different the environment is than one environment I have to like adjust to that and then like kind of create my new threshold and the new me that has to interact with this new environment and then I'm ready right um so it's not like seamless always and so that adds into my transition time right so the day-to-day things it's just I have way more emotional reactions and it takes more time for me to kind of process the emotions that I have when I have all of these things changing in one day whereas being remote I just had to work from home you know, and I didn't have to worry about time. I had to make sure I was in front of my computer with at least a shirt that looked nice for a work shirt. I could have pajama pants, no one knows, and um, just be there on time on my computer screen. And so those logistical pressures weren't there. Um, the added emotional pressures and social pressures weren't there. And so I actually felt like I was flourishing in terms of my work. I was more organized. I had a set schedule. I didn't have as many outside um, uncertainties that could alter the schedule so I I, um, felt like I was able to be productive more productive Um, and in that time I learned a lot more of organizational and productivity skills because I didn't have to deal with all these emotional um, emotional data essentially I guess that I was processing by being in the real world you know with real people around Um, I know this sounds kind of funny Um, but so for me, that was positive. And I'm definitely, I would say, introverted. So I don't need as much social interaction really to feel like, if anything, I feel more charged up when I have a chance to be with myself and kind of explore my own mind and explore my interests. So that gave me also more time to be with myself and other things that I like, like playing music and then getting to go for more walks with, uh, you know, with my dog, Sage, in the forest. And so... I was able to focus also more on my physical health, which translates to mental health. So um, I think a lot of people probably connect with that, that they had more time for themselves. I think a lot of people were realizing that there were all these needs that they didn't get met. And it's probably a reason why people don't want to go back to those jobs they used to have, which weren't compensating them enough. And they didn't have the time for it to meet their needs. So I think in a way, a lot of people may be feeling that there were needs they weren't getting met and now they want to get those needs met and they're protesting. I want my needs met and they deserve it. And I agree. Everyone deserves that. 
so that's probably hopefully people can connect with that part of my experience right um being able to get more of the needs met that i hadn't before um so let's say that i felt like it was so nice so then when i started realizing that um you know our state was really pushing to get everything in person again it was a little bit devastating because i had created this really nice structure and i was really happy with the way that things were going for me and my day-to-day life and then all of a sudden to just it felt like they were just stealing or taking away something that was so helpful for me right it was such a good framework and helped me become so productive and I was like happy with myself I was building confidence and I felt competent and um I was I was devastated I was really upset I think I got depressed even when things changed that I knew that it was only a matter of time until I had to go back to the schedule that I knew was going to cause so many disruptions in my life the way that it did before and so you know it's been a transition period for me to feel okay with these new changes and then also me realizing that I had built up skills for myself in that time that I had more time for myself then I'm actually translating to this new normal now whereas I don't have to go in all the time, right? I do have to do some things in person, which is like I have do have to teach in person, which I'm going to go, I can go and talk about more about the frustrations with that. Um, But I'm also, you know, there's still mixed meetings. Like I still have research meetings on Zoom sometimes. Sometimes we go in and have Zoom meetings or meetings in person. Um, And so I like that there's still a hybrid approach in general. And I really hope that that remains and it's not just part of the transition because I think the hybrid approach is powerful you know people who need to have those in-person interactions can get those and the people who need to have their alone time or they feel more comfortable online can have that opportunity as well and I really hope that you know workplaces and department physics departments science departments schools in general will kind of keep the hybrid approach I think it's it's helpful I think it's really powerful so I'm hoping that will remain um so overall I think that in terms of how things have changed in structure wise for me personally um I've learned a lot through this through these times I mean of course everything that's going on in outside world is really is devastating to see people getting sick people dying right that's so sad and I get worried too um because my parents are older and um, have pre-existing conditions so you know there was a the potential if they would catch it that they would you know they could get really sick or die right and that's something that I wouldn't want to see I've had a good amount of family members extended family pass away um what from different like family from Mexico for example um passing away and it's just it's sad to to realize that that's you know that's happening a lot a lot of people are losing their family members um, and that brings me anxiety too to go out and think that I could potentially pick it up and spread it to someone that could have that pre-existing condition, right? That could get really sick. Um, I know that I'm not likely to get that sick, right? So the anxiety I have is not just, it's not really about me per se, although it is about me too, because, you know, there's still a chance I could get that sick too, right? but also about how it could just be spreading, right? And then we don't even know, and it could affect all these people, and it is affecting people, and people are dying. 
Um, and so it's frustrating to see the state that we're in now when there's this big, crazy surge going on um, that there really isn't any precautions being taken in, uh, at our school, right? Um, and at schools in general, it's kind of like a you do whatever you want to do, that's it. And there's no rule. There's no, it's just, it's like, <sighs> there's no order. There's nothing, nothing right? And um, it's frustrating to have to be teaching in this environment where, um, I mean, I'm put at risk, professors that are older, that could have pre-existing conditions that I work with that I really value, and they're, they're getting put at risk because there's no, there's no rules, there's no nothing, right? And students, some students don't consider that either. They don't consider how they might be affecting those older professors, right? They come to classes without the masks, they go out to frat parties and um, they're not taking precautions. And it's like really upsetting to see that. And that's something that right now, if you're going to say rants, that's what I'm kind of ranting in in my head. And I feel angry about it um, when I see this happening. Uh, I've, I, I've reached out to a few people and they feel or people have reached out, you know, other graduate students. And they also feel frustrated about the situation. But also, it seems that there's a silence on it. Like, I, I have never, even throughout the whole trajectory, I, I don't know if I'm the only one, you know? Like, no one is really talking about those frustrations. So sometimes I feel like I'm the only one feeling this frustration. Is there something wrong with me? Like, why am I worried? Why am I so having this anxiety about, about COVID in general? Like, I'm supposed to be, I'm young and healthy. I'm not supposed to worry, right? Because I'm not going to get that sick, right? Um... So it's like, why am I so worried about it? Am I the crazy one? No one else seems to be worried. But, you know, there probably are people. I bet you there are a lot of people worried, right? It's just that I don't think there's an encouragement for us to really speak out about it. Um, And I wish that we could. And I wish that we could make a difference. But as graduate students, we don't have that much power. And it's it's sad to see that, um, you know, the school doesn't really have our back, you know, they're for the students, they are like, the students should be able to do whatever they want, and they just put all their employees at risk, I don't know, <laughs> I mean, what do you think, how was your experience, like, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, you said a lot just there, and I just wanted to, like, respond to some of it, I yes, guess, of course. I guess just, um, yeah, I mean, I appreciate your different experience going through like the remote experience of teaching online and being socially distanced and stuff. And, um, I think that's, you know, a perspective that we shouldn't lose. And I think, I hope that the world will continue to like encourage and not lose sight of, like, I think a lot of jobs from now on are going to be vastly different. Like they're going to be work from home and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I hope, that stuff continues but um and then i'm glad that we have this space i mean one reason that we're that i'm glad that we have this podcast is to give you the space to be able to you know to use that voice to use your voice and to be able to like share your perspective and to like have people who could be potentially out there listening, you know, resonate with that experience. You know, I think that's, I think that's powerful. And, um, 
And I appreciate you sharing um, your feelings on that matter. But in terms of how I feel, I mean, you know, I don't have much to say on the remote uh, learning and stuff like that. Like I functioned fine. Like I did well. I did okay. You know, I don't know how much I can relate to your experience, but um, I do feel anxious about, you know, being in person and stuff like that. So to me, it was, mm -hmm. the, it was my preference. And then, like I said, I, I think I'd just be repeating myself in terms of like what I feel in terms of teaching in person and stuff like that. It could be summed up as like, it's fucked up. <laughs> It's like I don't feel safe. The you know school isn't necessarily following like CDC guidelines, and um, so it's like we're not even doing like the minimum really in terms yeah. of from my perspective. Um, so that's messed up. But I guess the more interesting thing to talk about then is like, yeah, like in terms of our power to be able to change things and stuff like that, and like. Like, it does seem like um, we're kind of powerless in the situation. And I guess um, for, like, when I, when I say that, it makes me think of, like, abusers, right? And like, I guess I tend to analogize things in this way. Like, abusers want you to feel that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you feel powerless, then, you know, you're just going to go along with whatever they have planned for you, you know? And um, so this podcast is one small step in terms of making our voices known, in terms of making our grievances known, um, you know, and, uh, you know, who knows whether it'll inspire any changes, but it's at least something that we can do right it's like you know speak up in terms of like what we see as wrong in this system and then you know hopefully we can do more and bring about more change you know you know unionizing or whatever working with the graduate student union or association or whatever and you know bringing about change but yeah um I don't know how hopeful to feel about that. You know? Yeah, I mean, I know. At some, uh, I was, like, feeling, like, angry and, like, oh, I want to protest. Like, a professor made a joke. It's like, you guys should protest. It's not okay what they're doing. Um, but then, you know, because I said this isolation that I feel like no one else is really speaking up again. You know, I, don't, I haven't heard many graduate students talking about feeling unsafe or, you know, I don't think they feel safe, but they don't talk about it only one student has talked to me about it um and so people don't even feel comfortable bringing that up you know they don't feel safe enough to even talk about to have those conversations and so now it's just like you said like I feel like that like just just like I gave up and now I just let the abuser have the power over me and I'm just like submitting to whatever the abuser wants right and that feeling is terrible it feels horrible and then it makes me wonder, like, why am I even doing this? I'm like, this culture is so fucked up. Sorry for the F word, but <laughs> just kidding. Um, that, <laughs> why am I even here, right? 
so frustrating, you know. Yeah. Um, I have such a problem. Like, I just don't want to be here because, like I said, like when I just want to protest, right? I'm like, I'm just going to leave so I can protest. But then that's not going to help the people that are still here. It's not going to help the future people. I want to find a way that's really going to make a change. And I don't know what that is yet, but, you know, there's pieces I'm hopeful for, for like the NVC, right? I'm hopeful that that might be a step, but I know there's much more. And I'm hoping that the future generations will take this seriously too and help, you know, further this cause because I think it's really important. Um, I mean, this culture has to change, not just in physics, but in all science and in just in general, in all workplaces and everything. Like we fall into a level that's just, it's just sometimes i wonder like do i belong here you know <laughs> yeah. this is so painful to watch how people treat each other yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's okay preach preach girl but um uh yeah like you were concerned about um it's kind of like uh perhaps you know a downer note to end on so um you know um, I'm, I'm actually comfortable ending it like that but you know i feel like maybe there's a little bit of a responsibility to be more hopeful and stuff like that well i'm hopeful for the future <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh yeah i mean that's that's good I mean, do you want to talk about that but like because i was just gonna try to think of something that you know i'm was grateful for and like and then do the outro. Yeah. But. What are you grateful for? <laughs> um, yeah, just talking about this whole, you know, trajectory. I mean, I'm grateful for, to have this space to be able to talk about, like, what's been going on with me. Um, I'm grateful to be in a better place physically and mentally, you know, and so on. I'm Yeah, like I said earlier, I'm celebrating growth and stability. Um uh, I'm grateful for uh, my dog's age, and yeah. So I, you know, here's to hoping that you know we'll get through this tough time, and that you know we'll um, be able to <laughs> um, achieve our goals and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you feel grateful for that you want to share? Well, I'm, I'm grateful for, for as much as I say the physics about the physics department culture. I mean, I'm grateful for the places in the department where I have found safe, uh, safety and security, which would be my research group. So I'm extremely grateful to have that space. I mean, uh, it's amazing. I guess I could talk about like how special it is you know, for a long time, but, uh, they, the first place that I felt like, um, I can be accepted for who I am and I'm starting to be more comfortable being who I am with them and their understanding of what I need and my needs. And, uh, that if sometimes things take me a little bit longer, but the quality is still going to be there. It's just going to be taking longer. Right. <laughs> um, so their understanding of how I work and that's something really special. So, um, I think that it's important to find, spaces like that wherever you are right or it's not sustainable you can't live years of your life somewhere where you can't find a safe space right it's essential and so 
by just seeing that and being in this course with these other professors where they were able to be vulnerable, that brings me hope too that it is possible, right, for us to teach people it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to talk about your needs, and um, that we all have those universal needs, right, that we all share. Um, so in all of that, I am hopeful for the future because I can see that it's possible for people to open up like that. It's possible to find those spaces. It's just that we need to expand that to larger, right? It shouldn't just be little pockets of safe space. It should be we need to spread those pockets into something much larger. Um, and I think it's possible. It's just going to take work and time and uh, work, you know, work force of dedicated people that want to make this change. And I, from what I've seen, I think that that's come like I think that our generation and the next generation I really think that those values are really strong so um that's what I'm grateful for cool (laughs) (laughs) to be part of this wonderful like journey I guess of Mm. my life too great thank you for sharing but thank you (laughs) (laughs) all right well I guess um that's gonna do it for us here um thank you for listening if you made it this far we appreciate it we we love you um we love you i love you joe loves you (laughs) yeah um but so yeah so uh on the docket you know we're planning on talking about nbc you know maybe interviewing um some old people that we've had on the podcast you know they've been going through a lot of changes and stuff that might be good to update on um and yeah so hopefully you know more stuff comes out you know no guarantees i've i've learned my lesson in terms of making promises you can't keep but um anyway so yeah thanks for checking it out um and we will catch you guys on the next episode bye, bye.